and we have Chris, the General Levy. I get to be doing it. Chris, you sound a bit like a Dalek. Um... Exterminate them all! Zoom apologises for this episode's audio. Welcome to My Turn Podcast, a gaming podcast hosted by extra competitive siblings. My name's Jem, I'm the big sister, and I'm joined by my littlest sibling, Erin. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello, Erin. We Hello. sound like kids' TV presenters suddenly. Do we? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, Should we join Blue Peter? <laughs> no, no. Um, but today we have an extra special episode. Uh, what's the game we're talking about today? We're going to be talking about chess. Yes, that old classic. And to help us along the way, we have some extra special guests. So I'm going to introduce them now. We have Matt Lund. Say hello, Matt. Hi, guys. Nice to be here. <laughs> and we have Chris, the General Levy. Hi, good to be joining you. <laughs> um, so could you just briefly introduce yourselves both so that uh, our listeners understand why you're here? So let's start with you, Matt. Uh, yeah, hi. So I'm, I'm Matt Lunn. I know Jem through London Chess Boxing, where I'm one of the regular commentators. Uh, and yeah, I, I've accrued a lot of useless knowledge about chess over the years, which I look forward to, <laughs> to, to spewing forth over the next hour or so. <laughs> and you are a bit of a chess master yourself, aren't you, Matt? I mean, master, master is is very generous. I mean, one of the lovely things about the, about the Queen's Gambit is I can I can compare my rating to the kind of to one of the players that Beth has been. It's oh yeah, you know, I'm a bit worse than Harry Beltic was when he was a child, that sort of thing. And you know, people are oddly impressed by that. So I feel, oh, I feel validated. Amazing! And thank you for dropping that in because we are going to be talking about the game of chess. And also the Queen's Gambit. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, so, Chris, for yourself, could you just introduce yourself in a nutshell? Sure. So, I'm the other half of the commentary duo uh, that Matt mentioned. So, also joining him on the chess boxing. I'm a little bit less strong as a chess player. Very average club-level player. Moved away from the game for a few years. Came back because of the chess boxing. I uh, used to fight myself, uh, but I've retired from that and concentrating a lot more on the chess now. So, yeah, looking forward to deconstructing a bit of Queen's Gambit, talking a bit about chess in general. Um, except you're having a bit of a moment. So yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely is. Um, and we will also, you both mentioned chess boxing. If listeners, you don't know what that is yet, we will get into it. So don't worry um so erin do you want to start us off with our first question for our guests yeah so um let's just go over the very basics can you describe what chess is to us what is chess so, oh, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll i'll field this one gang so yeah chess is a turn-based board game uh fielded between two players, one with the white pieces, one with the black pieces. Both sides have identical sets of pieces with white going first. Um, each piece has uh, unique abilities, can, can move and capture in particular ways. Uh, and the aim of the game is to um, put the opposition's king in a position where it can't avoid being captured, at which point you say, 
checkmate, which I, I believe derives from the, the Farsi for um, for the king is dead, shakmat. Um, but I mean, the game is, is pr- much more strategic than that because normally your opponent won't just let you attack and attack their king. You have to um, try to gain space in the board, try to win some of your opponent's pieces so that further down the line um, you can you can launch an attack that they just won't be able to defend. Um, it, it's widely regarded as a game that's uh, easy to learn, but um, as Chris and I will attest, impossible to master. Yeah, mm. very nice. What a lovely nutshell. Thank you very much, Matt. Very well <laughs> I, I, I have been fielding a lot of questions about chess over the, the last few months. So, um, you know, what, what came across as quite polished there was uh, a, lot, a lot of rough around the edges with my friends. <laughs> Amazing. And why have you been fielding a lot of questions over the last few months? Well, I mean, as, as Chris mentioned, um, the Queen's Gambit has, has uh, enabled chess to have a little bit of a, a moment. I think it's, ah. it's, one of those, it's one of those games that people have uh, certain preconceptions of you know ch- chess players are um you know a asocial animals who sit in a, a dark room for hours on end just shuffling pieces around a board and and obviously that, that's 90 percent true but with <laughs> like, with people like um beth Harmon appearing on on our screen it can dem- demonstrates the ways in which um you know chess can kind of buck that trend in which the game itself can be uh, both more more involving, more um, naturally relevant to other aspects of our life than perhaps people gave it credit for, and I think that has sparked a natural curiosity. Um, the other thing I would mention is that during during lockdown, um, a lot of people have been able to play chess online, and it's been a great resource to kind of keep one's uh, minds engaged and to learn new skill kind of quite quite easily. Yeah, that's a really good point to mention, actually, because a lot of our podcasts over the last year has focused on either games we can play online or the importance of games for mental health during this really, really weird time. So it's good to know that there's a thriving chess community playing online as well. Um, And how old were you when you started playing chess, Matt? Uh, I was five um, and I... So I, pl- I played in a lot of lot of junior tournaments when I was young. So um, yeah, I guess some something akin to sort of Beth's early experiences, all all mm. albeit much less competent, obviously. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I and I actually I, I made a lot of, of very close friends uh, during my time on the chess circuit in in, <laughs> my, um, in, my, in my childhood. Yes. I love, I love the, just using the standard chess vernacular just met by riotous laughter. Oh, oh, you guys, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so I, ch- I used to play as a child. I, I was part did of you? a chess club. Yeah, I used to do, like, local... We did local tournaments in the local library, like in the main library in our borough. Um, so I used to play quite a bit as a kid. You didn't... You were I was not, no, no. Plus, I didn't have the patience for it. I mean, it's, it's a bit different now, but you know what I was like as a kid, very uh, ADHD... <laughs> Yeah, very hyper. I wouldn't sit down for more than like one minute, pretty much. But I'd be intrigued. So how did you guys get introduced to it, though? Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll with for me, it's just my, my dad played. Yeah. It was a one, one of his main hobbies. And he taught, he taught me one day and I really, really enjoyed it. And then I started playing tournaments and met lots of 
great people, played in kind of team competitions as well. So it became just a kind of a key thing that I would do on weekends and actually quality time I spent with him as well. And that, and that just sort of took me all the way through school. I kind of lost interest a, a little bit towards the tail end of school, but then met a new group of people around university time, started mm. playing more tournaments abroad, started playing for different clubs, um, for instance, at, at the, the universities I went to. So um, what got me into it was the kind of the, the, the intrigue around the game itself which was sparked by my dad but mm. then the reason it's stayed with me for this long is the people that I've managed to meet through it yeah um, lovely and what about you Chris when how old were you when you started playing chess yeah, it's a really similar route to Matt actually so I was maybe a little bit older eight or nine when my dad taught me um and then after a couple of times playing him he got a bit tired of losing so passed <laughs> me on to his dad who had, my grandfather who taught him. Uh, and then when he had had enough as well, they found a local chess club, um, went along, kind of really started devouring the game. Then you go from that into playing into tournaments. And quite similar to Matt, actually, I then lost a lot of interest, perhaps sort of towards later teenage years. Mm. Came back to a slightly different route through the chess pod too. But I'm really interested, Gemma. Like, I know you're meant to be asking us the questions, but you didn't even know that you'd kind of got into it when you were younger as well. Yeah, so, so yeah. So really interested in hearing, like, what was your experience? How did you get into it? Then what made you maybe go away from it before coming back? Um, yeah, really easy, easy answer to those questions. Uh, our dad as well. So it seems to be like a dad, dad thing for all three of us. Uh, our dad taught us how to play chess. Um, myself and our middle brother, Bilen, who was appearing on this podcast regularly until lockdown and he's just got a completely different schedule to us so yeah. uh, you'll hear him again hopefully at some point soon but Bilen and I were both more into it and had more patience for it Bilen more so Bilen has also got an amazing working memory so he could naturally pre-plan five six moves ahead whereas I found that the, the struggle with chess really I can probably do two moves ahead and then I'm like oh I don't know um but yeah, so we used to go to chess club. I think I went to chess club at, at school. Mm. And then we used to go to the library quite a lot. And I think we went to like another local place to play a tournament. But I, my, the reason I stopped, puberty. <laughs> <laughs> you just become a bit of an yeah. arsehole when you hit puberty and like all the things you loved mm. when you were little just suddenly are like yeah. but then we used yeah. to have we used to have a chessboard that was um always in the front room as well that used to be set up and i remember yeah. like that used to be you know pretty much as you go in by the tv area yeah that's and right. that's no longer there i wonder what's happened to that because... uh, it's been boxed up oh yeah. it's such a lovely chess it's a lovely chess, chess set, set. my actually. dad bought this really nice chess set which is was another reason I think why mm. I wanted to play it because he bought it saying that he'd give it to my brother when my brother was an adult and I was a bit jealous mm -hmm. so I was like well I'm going to be the good chess player so I can get it <laughs> oh he always beat me <laughs> as I said he's kind of a like Billen's kind of got a weirdly genius yeah. working memory he yeah. can just pre he can just see stuff ahead of it happening way more um, than the average human <laughs> <laughs> And it was interesting what both both you, Gem, and Erin said about chess and uh, kind of requiring one's uh, one's, one's concentration because actually yeah. it's, it's a really valuable skill to mm. um, to kind of instil in kids is the ability to 
concentrate for quite long periods of time on something that is your responsibility and that by concentrating you are rewarded by doing well in Mm. in the test game and it's I think I mean there are so many wonderful transferable skills for kids there's the social side which I mentioned like taking accountability um for your mistakes learning how to lose gracefully and win gracefully um as well so I think even if it's something that people uh, let kind of fall by the wayside in adulthood which is obviously completely fine um it's a great thing to learn as a as a kid because it you know, brings lots of positive attributes to other aspects of your life mm. yeah for sure um so i'm just gonna quickly bring in uh the queen's gambit because the reason we're having this conversation is because this series has as you've already mentioned reawakened the nations or in fact i think a lot of western nations that have seen the series it's an american series so it's kind of reawakened this love and passion for chess uh erin and i both Um, binged it yeah completely (laughs) as soon as we finished it as well um i downloaded a chess game (laughs) (laughs) i want to be the queen's gambit (laughs) yeah and i'm sure that you've seen um articles and uh, um, headlines saying that chess boards were in high demand certain places ran out of chess boards in november (laughs) also with the run-up to christmas um, and I just wanted to ask you what your thoughts were having, I think, Matt, you've watched the whole thing, Chris, you're three episodes in. So maybe let's start with Chris. Like, what are your impressions of the show? And why do you think it's had this, um, I guess, kind of sexiness that it's added to the game of chess? <laughs> so I was, I was, one of the few times I've heard it uh, described in such terms, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of resisting it because I thought the chess would be like not very well treated. People were asking me as a chess player, surely this would be something that you'd want to watch and get into. I've seen like quite a few movies or TV shows where you know it, it's there, but they haven't really taken it very seriously. One of the things that actually draws you in uh, is you can tell the love that the people who produced it have for the game. That they mm. brought in some expert consulting, which I'm sure Matt will be able to talk about in a second. But also how seriously the actors have taken it. So I've got through an episode where they play, it's one, one of the early ones, the first tournament that Beth enters, where she's reading out 15 moves of an opening based on modern chess openings, which is like this book she discovers that contains all the different theory and stuff. She's mm. clearly the actress made an effort to memorize it all um but more than that um and i was reading an article it's about the way that she handles the pieces so mm-hmm. there's something almost tactile and quite balletic about watching somebody who's really experienced and how they know kind of how to execute a move with quite a, a sort of minimum of of effort so she looks like she knows what she's doing mm. um so that's yeah, from a pure chess geeks perspective, one of the things I love about it, but why it's drawing people in, um, I think it's, it, it's partly about how she is an outsider in that world and how she loves um, sort of confounding the expectations. So really interesting and I think reflects all the problems that we still have today that people react quite poorly to her as a young girl wanting to play chess it's not something mm-hmm. that women are seen 
um, socially is something for them. Um, there's sort of analogy with how I then expect to get to maths or science, or engineering or something like that. So the fact that she just kind of sets out to confound those expectations, I think is one of the reasons why it resonates. And it's also the beautifully shot as well, the mm. design, uh, the way it captures the 60s, 70s, um, and the kind of the feeling of a chess tournament as well. We really need to hear Matthew on that, but I think it really kind of gets the tension that you can get at quite a high level chess tournament too. Yeah, and um, yeah, talking about the style, I mean, that's why I mentioned sexy because it's shot in such a way that the action of chess is kind of, I mean, it's gorgeous to watch. Mm. Um, and did you have any thoughts about, she does this thing where she projects her move pattern on the ceiling, like the, her way of visualising it, which I thought was cinematic and a really nice effect. But I wonder like if either of you, when you play chess, go into that sort of zone that you can relate to that. I know it's a very cinematic representation, but if you can relate to that kind of representation of a mental state. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's to write the trance-like state that she goes into. Um, to help her to visualize mm. and i think it just it captures the feeling of how all-encompassing it can be so the thing i love about chess is how complex it is there are billions and billions of potential positions in any of them there are often three or four different routes you can go down each of which then have other areas that they can go into it's being able to make sense out of that complexity and i think she mm. says it in one of the the early episodes where she's being interview for life magazine is really a very it's a very satisfying thing and it is almost trance like when you have a very complex position that you have to kind of go into in your head and to be able to visualize and assess now how do you find it matt um yeah i mean i i think that's a really really lovely description and i i my experience is is entirely the same as yours you do you, you achieve what um i don't know if he originated this idea i've certainly heard him quote it what um robert winston describes as flow where time 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 it doesn't quite stand still but you you find yourself looking at a board and then glancing at the clock and realizing that an hour has passed and what seems like <laughs> seems like seconds because you get so drawn in to um the the, the myriad opportunities in in the position as, as chris as chris mentions there are there are just countless different um positions games etc that that one can achieve and and reach it's a game of complete information when in theory if you had you know if your game if your brain was um uh, an infinite computer mm. you, you could theoretically understand all of its complexities but what makes it so interesting is that you kind of you're kind of you're presented with all the information and then essentially just asked to make sense of it compared to something like texas holden where certain cards are always uh, unseen mm. um, so I, I think the um the queen's gamut does a, a beautiful job of um exemplifying the kind of the the pure concentration required and turning that into something beautiful as for the visualization on the ceiling and this is it's a, a a piece of imagery that has been um assessed critiqued a, a reasonable amount I, I i would certainly not claim to be able to do anything like that myself <laughs> at my level 
However, I, um, th there's a Ukrainian grandmaster, Vasily Ivanchuk, who is well known for um, looking up in the air where, when, in, in the middle of a game. And it's kind of widely assumed that he is visualizing um, the board in his head, yeah. if not, if not on, on the ceiling. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I guess in terms of the imagery, what I think is beautiful about it is that you, you don't get endless small conversations between people saying, you know, now now she's on well on her way to a win, or that night move had to be played in order for her to avoid checkmate. It's just you you see it in her expressions, the kind mm. of the the micro movements, mm. the twitches of the hands, the sort of the the long stares. It's and it's it's just absolutely fantastic, and in that respect, very very true to um, the real life tournament experience, and it captures that in a way that no other series or film about chess has so far, mm -hmm. which is, I think, very special for the chess community. <laughs> Amazing. I think, I think the, the competitive nature of it as well, I think. So when you're talking about the expressions there, Matt, you can see sort of in her face and more often out of the opponents who she's walking all over, but you can <laughs> kind of see how it's going competitively and how much personal pride people have bound up in it so the way that yeah. people are reacting to this to this girl who is not just confining their expectations of her but also forcing them to reevaluate how good they think they are there is nothing more brutal than losing a chess because there's no way you can run away from it as matt says it's a game of complete information if you lose it's because your opponent saw better than you whether that's in a particular moment where you make a blunder or whether yeah. that's overall strategically. And so I'm just going to cut in, Matt, because we need to go to a quick break so we can reset the Zoom. If we had a sponsor, we'd <laughs> see where it is. Men are going to come along and want to teach you things. Doesn't make them any smarter. You just let them blow by. And you go on ahead and do just what and how you feel like. Someday you're going to be all alone. So you need to figure out how to take care of yourself. Um, so we're back. <laughs> <laughs> we're just a bit where Matt was saying it. Okay, so yeah. One of the things um, from watching The Queen's Gambit that I really enjoyed was how they almost like portrayed the character's romance with actually playing chess and how there's so much to kind of like learn it like on the surface it's a very um simple set of rules that you have to follow but there's so much depth like the amount of books that they look into the strategies of play the way different players play and i just like absolutely love that and is, is that something that you found really intriguing as well the more you got into it the more you realize there's endless amounts to learn and develop on yourself yeah, I, I think I think that's absolutely captured beautifully in the Queen's Gambit, and I think it is one of the reasons why chess is such a compelling game. Is you can you can kind of keep learning and learning and learning, and never truly tap into the game's potential. And it is one of the things that is so beautiful about it. The the more you understand the game, the more you appreciate its aesthetics in a way that. Um, a musician might identify subtleties in a wonderfully composed aria, for instance, mm. or or an actor might might see these kind of incredible subtleties in a colleague's performance. Um, yeah. But then, what's interesting about chess is that those aesthetics are kind of intangible to those who 
don't play the games. You have to invest a huge amount of effort to actually achieve those aesthetic realizations. And there's a wonder, there's a wonderful quote by a, um, a chess player called Hans Rie, who said that chess is a game uh, beautiful enough to waste your life over. And, yeah. and whilst that sounds kind of flippant on the one hand, I think it does, it, it beautifully exemplifies just how the game can touch a chess player and really, as, as you kind of alluded to, Erin, um, help you achieve that sort of obsess, that, the, the gratification of obsessing over something and learning more and more about it and, and achieving a kind of, aesthetic realization uh, related to the game i now understand this i can see these patterns i've learned yeah. this new idea and it is it's so so compelling for that reasons and i think circling around to the queen's gambit it's something that having such wonderful cinematography such great acting and um and real kind of conscientious um, chess consultant uh, consultancy in it um has just made it a, a sheer beauty to behold especially for us chess players yeah, and yeah. um, um, actually, uh, I think if it's all right, I'll just um, so yeah, I'll add to what Matt says. So, so although it's clearly like a very, very objective game, as we were saying earlier, it's either you know you win or you don't, you play the right moves or or not. What people can find beautiful in it can be very, very subjective. So you can get some games that some players would find very beautiful because it's all about like spectacular combinations seeing unusual moves, one sacrifice after another, that kind of thing. Some people can like, other people would like something that is kind of like very quiet positional play that follows a thread from the very beginning to the end. And the beauty is less about the spectacular, mm -hmm. but about how somebody has understood that position and seen it through. So a bit like sort of most forms of art, um, you can find different people will be drawn to different styles of play and find different things beautiful about it and i think that also comes through a little bit as well in the series yeah re really really nice um summing up of that 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 sense and, and exactly the, what erin was asking about and i think for all of i mean erin and i both artists of, of sorts so erin <laughs> yeah. musician i'm i'm a writer performer and i also feel like that with narrative you know it's like when you're writing a script when you have to pre-plan your moves. You have to insert in the first act the problem that you solve in the last act. And there's something about watching The Queen's Gambit and like, I hadn't played chess for years before I saw that, but reliving that satisfaction of watching your play actually realised a few moves later is really yeah. similar for me as a writer to solving the problem in my script. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, like, it's a really nice um thing i think you know there's a lot to be said for creativity in games mm. and we've, we've so, talked about this a lot especially with things like strategy yeah, yeah. sorry do you want to come in there Matt? no no I'm, I'm sorry i interrupted so i one one of uh, I, I, we both chris and i have spoken about the great chess consultants um that, that were on board with queen's gambit um Bruce Pandolfini, Ipa Rubing, who we'll speak about a bit later, yeah. and most notably, um, Gary Kasparov, the greatest living chess player, arguably the greatest chess player of all time, who 
was brought on as a consultant and not only did he um, provide context for what it was like being a world-class chess player around that time, what it was like playing in Soviet Russia. So he, he saw the script and said, there's no way that these Soviet chess players would walk around unaccompanied. They'd all have KGB mm. agents with them, which isn't in the, in the, in the 1983 Walter Tevis novel. So he added a, a lovely sense of realism to that, which makes it more satisfying. But he also took beautiful existing games and actually added uh, an extra an extra element to them uh, in, in order that chess players uh, would find them uh, narratively satisfying and i think i'm um, like jem your point about you know as a writer you'd want to i guess what's check i suppose it's chekhov's gun to a degree isn't it something Absolutely, that appears, yeah. <laughs> something that appears in the first act needs to be resolved by the fifth act and i know there's yeah. a game that Beth plays in the final episode, which I won't spoil for, for Chris, um, <laughs> where she, she sacrifices a pawn and then plays a, a, a kind of strange looking backwards king move, which in, it basically enables the combination that follows a few moves later that, uh, that ultimately leads to her checkmating her illustrious opponent. And as a chess player, you can look at that and find that really, really beautiful in the mm. same way that an illusion in a script suddenly coming to the fore later in the narrative would be beautiful for for other artists yeah yeah really and that is what a gambit is right when you sacrifice a pawn early on is that right uh, i know yeah, there's so, many, many gambits many types of gambits but so the queen so the queen's gambits the the title of the show is named after a, an opening where oh, uh, i apologize White... for my dog one <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's, it, it, very used to it. Um, yeah, I was going. It's definitely not the first time I've spoken about chess and been shouted at by someone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the yeah, queen, so the queen, about the queen's gambit. Yeah. So the the queen's gambit itself is uh, is an opening which actually I I, I play uh, oddly enough that um, it involves uh, White uh, giving up a pawn early on in order to uh, achieve um, a greater space and developmental advantage. So normally. Um, when, when one first learns the game, normally mm. the winner is um, the person who knows the basic checkmating patterns. And then later on, it's the person who makes the fewest huge mistakes. Like if I mm. blunder my queen against you and you only blunder a rook later in the game, you'll probably win because the queen yeah. is a better piece. Um, and as you get better and better, uh, the strategies become more complex. Um, there's a game that Beth plays against Benny Watson later in the series uh, so th th this great American grandmaster who's a rival of hers and uh, the game doesn't go as planned because she aims for a particular pawn structure where mm. she has a worse pawn structure and he has the bishop pair Yes, that, no, sorry. I'm not even trying to remember it She gives up I think she gives up the bishop pair in order to wreck his pawns, no, other way, I'm going to revert again. Basically, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a tr so just so we don't spend the whole time talking about this, there's a trade-off where one side gives up the bishop yeah. in order to cripple the opponent's pawn structure, um, and they don't, they don't assess the trade-off correctly, and therefore yeah. it leads to them being in a strategically bad position later in the game. And it's, th it's those kinds of subtleties that characterise top-level chess, and that's what wins are built on. And something like the Queen's Gambit, it's the kind of opening that a club player can play very well and yeah. end up getting good results because it's not super challenging, but involves a little bit of strategic know-how. Fab. So let's move on and get into um, talking about IPA. 
um, because we, the three of us, uh, me, Matt and Chris, all know each other because of a, a sport, it is a sport, <laughs> called chess boxing. Um, and this, the series that we're talking about, The Queen's Gambit, was actually uh, dedicated to Ippa Ribbon, whom many people don't know who that is. Um, so I wonder if uh, Matt, if you, sorry, Chris, could talk to us a little bit about him because you've met a really really long time ago yeah. uh, why was he important and um you know and then maybe lead us into chess boxing why not sure so he probably met about seven or eight years ago now in london and he was the guy who founded chess boxing uh, it actually appeared before he put it on it appeared in a, a comic strip so there was a french artist i think his name is enki bilal who if people are into to graphic novels, he's apparently really huge within that mm -hmm. scene. And there's one uh, book that he'd, he'd drawn where in the storyline, there's this futuristic game that combines chess and boxing together. Um, and Ipa is a, is a performance artist. Um, I think he's Dutch, but based in Berlin at the time. Yeah. And he's seen this um graphic novel and wanted to put it on take the chess boxing concept um and put it on as a piece of performance art so he sat down and he thought about the rules and found somebody i think it was a, a lawyer to come uh, and join him for this sort of exhibition bout and the way that he devised it was that they sit down they play chess for four or five minutes it's all timed by a chess box to make sure that you move quick a bit like in queen's gambit you can see they have the clock to make sure that they're yeah. moving and not spending all their time thinking then the board comes out the chair the table everything and the two participants then put gloves on and have a regular round of boxing for two minutes and then gloves come off the board comes back in and they basically resume from where they left off at the end of the first round uh, of the chess and this continues until someone wins one way or the other. So you can be getting beat up on the boxing, but you, if you checkmate your opponent, then you win the whole thing. Vice versa, you could be in all kinds of trouble on the board, but if you manage to stop your opponent on the boxing, then you've won that way. Um, and Ipa put this on, as I say, as a piece of performance art, mm. invited friends, critics, and they actually said to him, we quite like watching this as a spectacle. Uh, you should try and codify it and make it a, a proper sport. So it gradually grew in Berlin, which perfect place for it, you know, very alternative scene, yeah. has a good underground vibe to it. There was, then it sort of spread. Um, I was going to say it went viral, it's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't, don't use that word in a positive sense anymore. <laughs> but, but there was, a, there was an English guy uh, by the name of Tim Walker who saw it while he was in Berlin, was fascinated by it set up a club here in the UK um, and it's then gradually spread you've got clubs in Finland that's quite big um, Italy the US um, so really from this one idea that this guy Ipa had uh, it's now moved around different cities globally and the really fascinating thing is that it takes on such a different nature depending on the personalities of who is involved in organizing it so Jen right. you'll be able to talk about how it is here but there's kind of a slightly British sense of humour about it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. 
yeah. and maybe you can tell me about uh, some of the other so chess boxing yeah. here in the uk i i am the mc uh, for london chess boxing and um matt and chris as i explained are the chess bo chess boxing commentators um my i was just brought in because i'm an actor and a presenter and uh and one of my friends is is the organizer and they needed an mc to cover uh the usual one who i think was out but i think i just nicked his job after that didn't <laughs> I? <laughs> they just kept asking me back but it's um what i love about it and i've only experienced it in the uk is this beautiful hybrid between sport and nerdiness um and I totally agree with you about the British sense of humour being a factor. Um, the, the chess boxers themselves seem to do better with the crowd when they don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Even to the point that their intros, and, and I've had a hand in shaping some of this as well, but their intros are very sort of self-deprecating, very silly. Um, so the way they introduce themselves when they come out into the ring, uh, it's, it's all, they become characters and caricatures almost. Um, they're not very, they don't seem to take themselves too seriously as boxers, which I think plays really well to the crowd <laughs> because it's, it's a, a live event and, um, obviously something we've really missed, um, during this period, but it, it, yeah, that kind of nerdiness, the silliness, the playing up to the crowd in the ring um, is really part of the joy of it. But what is really interesting as a counter to that and, some, and something that I've really found fascinating is how serious and into the chess everyone is when the chess rounds start. And I absolutely was blown away by the fact that everyone chants chess, chess, chess when the chess is being played. Like 500 people chanting chess, 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 chess. And I love that now. Like, uh, that's my favourite bit, really. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, you've got, like, you've got the board up there. It's like a huge electronic screen that's projecting the position. And even when people are kind of half kind of chanting chess, 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 there's a little bit of a joke. Yeah. You can see that when it's the chess round, and people are totally gripped by it, so you can Absolutely. see that if, if they're not yelling out, they're kind of falling into silence trying to work out what's going on. So there is this high camp element, yet at the same time, it does kind of suck you in a little bit. It's such an interesting dynamic. It um, really, uh, really is. It. And I love that if, um, because what happens, obviously you're boxing and then you're playing chess. So a couple of hits to the head and then, you, you know, players are just not, the fighters are not seeing obvious moves a lot of the time. And even if you're a rudimentary, you know, rudimentary chess player, not very good, you can spot a really obvious miss when they've just missed something. Mm -hmm. And I love that audible gasp in the crowds or the kind of, ooh, because they because <laughs> <laughs> they're just a <laughs> how. <laughs> they've just like left their queen wide open. <laughs> I love you, that. Um, yeah. you mentioned yeah, the, the sorry, Chris. Go on, go on. No, you go. Uh, you mentioned the high the high camp element and kind of how that relates <laughs> to, to narrative. I, I wonder if sort of chess boxing if chess chess at a top level is maybe comparable to the sort of Christopher Nolan Batman universe, whereas the chess you see it, <laughs> chess boxing, is is more akin to the 1960s Adam West, kind of where people are punching each other and then the word pow just appears in front of you, or zap, or it's sort of, anytime, anytime anything happens, essentially all Chris and I need to do is sort of 
shout about it and everyone cheers it's one of the most gratifying it's it it's kind of it's that kind of ingestion of junk food and adrenaline it's, it's not particularly subtle but it's hugely entertaining whereas you know what what beth Harmon's doing is perhaps i was getting it's perhaps akin to a sort of well thought out michael kane monologue about his experiences in burma <laughs> I mean, at the same time, there is genuine drama in it as well, from the chess perspective, even if, uh, as you say, getting punched and having all the adrenaline really does mess with how you play the game. You, you can have one player who can play really, really well and be kind of following that thread that we were talking about earlier. And then because of the boxing, there's just that moment where you can just throw the whole thing away. And the kind of precipice that you're walking is you get later and later in the game, your time is running out. You might have a good position, but your like your head's all over the place. There is kind of genuine drama because you can see how much it means to players as well. Yeah. Yes, now, they might play up to the image a little bit, but at the same time, they have been genuinely training for it for a few weeks, and you can really see they don't want to screw up that game at, at the last if they're controlling it. No, no, go on, Eric. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, like, if someone just completely bottles it at the chest, do they just sometimes just go hell for leather in the box in and just, like, throw everything out there? <laughs> so, that, so that's great as well. So you start off completely level on both of them, and you usually see that there's a, a divergence. Ideally, kind of one player gets the advantage in one, one in the other. Yeah. And then they become increasingly more aggressive to try and press on their advantage. <laughs> like you say, like, if you're... If you're losing on the chest, then you will have to kind of go out and really press it on the boxing. Yeah. Vice versa, um, if you're not hiding to nothing uh, with the gloves, then you try and draw that out as soon as you can, box a little bit more defensive. And it forces you to play what often might not be the most objectively best move, but the one that sharpens it up in the chest and makes it more aggressive. Matt and I, um, we had a genuine argument once on commentary about... <laughs> There's a move, this, this one guy, Roger the Cannonball Baxter. Oh, yes, was. Roger. He played, this, he played this move that objectively was not the best move, but he played it at a time where psychologically it had a really damaging effect on his opponent. And he, kind of, he had to do it because he was getting pounded on, on the boxing. So it is. Yeah, you're completely right. It kind of forces you to adjust depending on mm. kind of how it is. And as a, as a spectacle, there is nothing quite like seeing someone about to checkmate their opponent and then the bell rings and you know they've got to survive one more round of boxing yeah. before they're able to do so. And, it's, and, and the person who's better at the chess is, is quite frequently the least physically impressive <laughs> prepared. I mean I didn't want to say so I'm glad <laughs> to, to put to put it to put it mildly and and there and therefore having to survive a round of boxing against someone who knows they must win at the boxing is really yeah. no mean feat but it's it's phenomenally exciting it's such an entertaining sport um so just off of the off of you know talking about chess boxing and the way that that perhaps might have brought a, a newer audience to chess in a way because as you say it's kind of grown out of a novelty it's grown out of a performance um where do you both feel that chess now in the post queen's gambit age as we are um where do you feel that it fits in modern culture 
do you feel like it's never really left us and it's just constantly evolving or do you feel like it's it's taking on a new role i mean i think i think the aesthetic appreciation of the game will at least be i guess the the comprehension of of the aesthetics of the game is probably now there in a way that it wouldn't have been before it's more likely to be compared to to music and art in a way that would have seemed a little bit indulgent previously and I, and I know we've discussed that early, earlier in this podcast but I think just watching a show like that which captures things so beautifully will be hugely valuable in bringing mm. a wider range of people to the game who otherwise wouldn't give it a go in the first place. I, I think it also has a huge amount of potential um, uh, with regard to more children learning it and I think in particular girls as well. Um, there are a lot of great female role models in the chess world but there aren't that many other female players who I mean Gem you mentioned for instance that you gave up chess when you reached puberty but I think I mean it wasn't as well no you're right well, I gave up football at the same time so like it, there's a reason for that it's you know partly and, and, school and having that pressure but yeah sorry carry on. absolutely <laughs> no but I, I think it's, it's absolutely right I mean one of the, and I mean clear, clearly that we're, we're not trying to make chess seem actually cool you're on a hiding <laughs> but cool. um, but if there, but if, if there are lots if lots more girls try it and enjoy it and end up through this creating a a more more diverse a more accommodating friendly atmosphere where they where they can learn the game enjoy it make good friends and like push themselves to be as good as they can be then that will be hugely to the benefit of of the game and i think in that respect the queen's gambit could be transformative hmm. I, I love a good argument with matt and i'm actually taking a bit of issue with saying chess is never going to be cool because yeah <laughs> 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 really, really taking it on here um i think even sort of before queen's gambit and before the pandemic there was a certain cachet that it was developing that it didn't have maybe over the last couple of years we've had a world champion magnus carson who is younger, perhaps a bit more photogenic than um, <laughs> the players in the past. Um, you know, you could take like, models for G-Star, that kind of stuff. I think the pandemic has um, driven people online. The, you mentioned about chessboards um, being bought. There's a record number of people, I think, are now on there's, like sites you can go and play, chess.com, Lee Chess. There's apparently thousands of people have been like, learning to play on that. Beyond even that, top-level tournaments, which before no one would pay that much attention to from a, a casual viewer's perspective, they're all happening online as well. And it's interesting this is a, a gaming podcast because you get streamers. Mm, uh, you get, Twitch. You get, yeah, exactly. You get people who will, like grandmasters who will go online and will play kind of regular Joes like myself and will give commentary as what they're thinking. Or in the top-level tournaments as well, you will get people who will commentate move by move. You've still got people just sat down in front of their screens watching, having the game explained to them. And yeah, it's perhaps never going to be the coolest, but I think there's been a certain <laughs> movement. Like being a geek has become a lot cooler the last yeah. few years. Definitely. And, and I think, and I think. Chris's point about Magnus Carlsen is absolutely spot on. I mean, having having someone like him at the top top of the game, someone with a bit of bit of an air about them, you know, that that does add that cachet, which I think is is wonderful. Um, 
I, before I forget, actually, there is this absolutely beautiful video of Anya Taylor-Joy from The Queen's Gambit talking to Judith Polgar, like the greatest female player of, of all time, uh, became the youngest grandmaster of, of all time. And, um, and Anya Taylor-Joy is like properly kind of fangirling over what a great mm-hmm. chess player she is, which I thought was just the loveliest thing. And just so unlike one's traditional assessment of the game, this really kind of this A-list actor sort of talking about how incredible this chess player was because of what they had achieved as a woman in the game I, I thought was was fantastic and you know I, it, it is to the credit of um, of the tv series that that's starting to, to bring this out in people yeah absolutely did you have any final questions Erin okay yeah, yeah really random one because they mentioned it a few times actually in the queen's gambit about becoming a grandmaster what what exactly is that and is it a really revered position that's quite hard to achieve? Is there like a particular uh, way of qualifying that? How, how does that work? Well, I think the question of whether it's a revered position or not, I worry <laughs> that I might attract Chris's ire again if I say anything other than, oh yeah, everyone wants to be a grandmaster, then you'll be the, cool, you'll be the coolest person in town. Um, I mean, it is, it is incredibly difficult to, to achieve the grandmaster title. Both mm. Chris and I are a long way off it. And I, I think as, as adults don't have a particularly realistic route to it. Um, everyone has an, an, chess players have an ELO rating. I don't know if you guys have seen the social network, but there's a scene at the beginning where um, Jesse, well, Mark Zuckerberg, as played by Jesse Eisenberg, asks... Uh, Eduardo Saverin is played by Andrew Garfield. Can you use that chess algorithm to rate the girls at Harvard? And that obviously that becomes a precursor to Facebook. The, the actual rating system he uses is the, the ELO system, which it's says chess. how people of different levels should perform against one mm. another. And that, and that exhibits itself as a, a four digit rating for chess players. The lowest you can be is a thousand, uh, but I mean a thousand level chess player would still be someone who who plays in tournaments, knows the moves, mm-hmm. is unlikely to make any kind of major, major mistakes. And then Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player in the world, is uh, a little over 2850. And a grandmaster must get to 2500 level, so right. be one of the best players in the world and also have three performances in tournaments uh, of, of a slightly higher than grandmaster standard. So it's something that people tend to achieve, um, you know, early twenties at the absolute latest. It's mm-hmm. regarded right. as being the equivalent of doing a PhD and many years of postdoctoral research in terms mm-hmm. of one's uh, ability in the field. But then un- unlike you know, if I were to become a, a postdoc in English literature, for instance, I would have no hope of achieving that at the age of 12, 13, whereas people do become grandmasters. 12 is a little young, we've mm. had one that age. 13, 14 is actually quite common now. Right. And people do that because of their blistering talent and the fact that there are top level computers with whom you can, you can analyze and obsess over the game with. So... Um, in a kind of a roundabout answer to your question, Aaron, it is a revered, it is a revered title. It's incredibly hard to get, um, but actually, there are, even being a grandmaster would only make you about the thousandth best player in 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 the world, if that. Yeah. Right. So it's more about having access to tournaments and being officially rated and that kind of thing, rather than just about your level of talent. So it's a bit. But, uh, bit I of mean, I think I, play. everyone everyone has the ability to to improve and i think it's it 
it's a really enjoyable part of the game is just making those incremental improvements in one's own rating, one's own understanding. And I think like with, like with anything, like with, you know, with music, but I potentially with acting, I'm, I'm not sure you kind of, you see, you, you set yourself a goal, which is not necessarily to, um, to win a Grammy or to win an Oscar, but it is to do something really good, improve your understanding mm. of something, achieve something. And, mm. and because chess is, because you have the ability to play lots of different people in lots of different competitions, you, you can set your own targets and try to achieve them with the help of books like Beth Harmon uses, uh, trainers, uh, on, online resources and computers as well. Yeah, great. Well, yeah. thank you very much for explaining that. We do need to start rounding things up. So did you want to come with anything quickly there, Chris? Did you want to come in with anything? Oh, I was just going to say, although... Yeah, we can't hope to become a grandmaster. We can. The good thing about it is you can play a grandmaster. I know Matt has yeah, had a couple nice. of decent results um, against. And so there's something quite democratic about it. You might not be able to reach that level um, objectively for like years and years and years. But on any given day, if you're a half decent player, you can have a crack against the grandmaster and possibly come away with a result as well. So yes, it's, it's revered, but you still get there. That's my, um, kind of amazing, actually. <laughs> one of one of one of my um, my closest friends, who who's a, a little bit better uh, than than I am, but kind of it very much in the same ballpark, beat sort of the world number two hundred or so in a tournament oh, wow. last year, and the amount and the amount of vicarious joy we all got <laughs> from that result was just absolutely profound because it's like it's like a club it's like a club um tennis player sort of beating someone who regularly makes like the fourth round of Wimbledon for instance yeah. it's and and I think Chris's point about it being democratic is absolutely spot on and it is wonderful that it's a game that you, you could have a five or six year old playing against an 80 year old yeah um, true. men women people from different different backgrounds different experiences play each other on purely equal terms that transcend race gender language physical ability and i think it's it's um, a really beautiful game for that reason and more Oh, and that is a nice uh, note to bring us to our kind of conclusion on but before we conclude this episode what do we have to do erin we oh, have we have to, to rate it. <laughs> we have to rate chess. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so uh, we rate things out of 10 here on the show. So I'm going to move to you, Chris, first. What is your... Oh, my dog's joining in. <laughs> what is your rating of chess out of 10? Um, the game or the episode? The game. <laughs> <laughs> um, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 for both, definitely. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> brilliant. And to you, Matt, what is your rating of chess, the game? I mean, if I, if I don't give it 10 out of 10, it would kind of make me feel I've wasted much of the last 25 years. I, mean, I, think, I think there is... It's, it's difficult to sort of say that chess does anything different to what one expects. It does exactly what it says on the tin, but then I'm, I'm going to get into a sort of awful Ron Seal analogy, which won't work. I think. Basically... I would give it 10 out of 10 because it's a game that gives one a huge amount of pleasure regardless of your ability. You just have to find the right people to play it with and the kind of the right support systems within yourself and through others to get you to where you want to be. So no, it's a game I would recommend to anyone without hesitation. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. Uh, and to our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our deep dive into chess 
plus the Queen's Gambit with a side of chess boxing. Um, so if uh, listeners want to look at chess boxing anymore, where can they find it, guys? Information about chess boxing, if they want to? Uh, LondonChessBoxing.com. Yeah. Okay. Look that up. You might see our faces on there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that brings us to the end of this episode. So I just want to say one more time, thank you very much to the wonderful, almost grandmaster. Let's say that, Matt Lunn. Very generous. And thank you very much to uh, Chris, the General Levy, almost Grandmaster Chester. <laughs> Again, very generous. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank really enjoyed you having so you on here. Much. Yeah, so if you've enjoyed this episode, as always, give us a like, give us a share. Why not rate us five stars on uh, iTunes? It really helps the podcast get seen. And also, you know what? It's 2021. We wanted the year to be better. Um, so thank you very much, guys. Uh, we'll see you again soon, hopefully virtually, maybe in real life. Who knows? <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.